0: God has not set us up for failure. Last week, I talked about how God often sets up circumstances in our lives in order to teach us valuable lessons. In many cases, He orchestrates events in such an instructive way that we at last understand what He wants to change in our lives and in our thinking. Knowing human nature as he does, he knows that he has to deliver the instruction repeatedly for us to get it, and thus he's persistent and rarely subtle. Granted, it didn't seem too subtle when Jesus said to Nicodemus that God loved the whole world, that he gave his only son, or when he told his disciples to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth to ensure that they would understand everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, not just the Jews even though he already told them this from the beginning of time. But then as I was reading further, a a thought struck me. If God sets us up, does he also set us up for failure? As life happens and disappointments come, it's easy to imagine that God may have also arranged events to see us fail. This thought brought my mind to a crashing halt. Wait a minute. This suggests that God would take delight in our failure and I realized that this is the ultimate of wrong thinking, for it tears at the fabric of God's character. God may know we won't succeed if we pursue a course of action, but that doesn't mean that He sets us up to fail. If we set our thoughts in that direction, it's impossible to trust God or believe that He's loving forgiving and gracious. Instead, he's the impossibly difficult taskmaster who gives us an unreasonable and unattainable task. The servant in Jesus' parable of the talents certainly thought that way saying, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Sadly, this servant didn't recognize the generosity of his master or the opportunity he would placed before him as his two friends realized and so invested wisely and prudently. King Saul stumbled over this numerous times in his life as well. From the time that Samuel selected Saul to be the first king of Israel, Saul chose to believe God set him up for failure and not success. All because he didn't trust God's character, a character the Lord described succinctly to Moses on the mountaintop. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Moses already understood that when he led the people across the Red Sea, for he exclaimed of the Lord, With your unfailing love you lead the people you have redeemed. In your might you guide them to your sacred home. Even when he couldn't enter the promised land, Moses still proclaimed how glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he. Saul had undoubtedly read these scriptures and heard these truths, but there was still something missing in his acceptance of them for although he was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land, and the son of a wealthy, influential man from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul seriously doubted his place in God's world. Perhaps this stemmed from his father's attitude toward him. After all, what dad would send out his eldest son to look for donkeys? What a menial, insignificant task. Further, it was Saul's servant that suggested they inquire of the man of God, Samuel, for assistance, and Saul dithers, replying that they have nothing to offer Samuel for his guidance. Here again, it's the servant that comes prepared, offering his own silver piece to Saul for payment. Why would a servant have necessary funds, but the son of a wealthy man have nothing to offer? Then when Samuel invites Saul to dine with him, explaining that Saul and his family are the focus of all Israel's hopes, Saul is aghast, rehearsing for Samuel the insignificance of his tribe and his family. Even though Samuel honors Saul in front of the assembled guests and later anoints him and declares that he's God's chosen leader of Israel, Saul doubts God's intentions. How do we know this? When Saul returns home, he shares nothing of his encounter with Samuel to his family. And when Samuel assembles the people to tell them of God's selection of Saul as the first king of Israel, Saul hides himself among the baggage. What a strange response. What is the first thing we do when we've been chosen for something special? tell our family and friends. And if we know we're going to receive a reward, aren't we front and center, excited and ready? What does Saul's response illustrate about him and his understanding of God? First, that these events are too good to be true. God can't mean I'm supposed to do this. Secondly, God I can't do this. I don't trust that you know what you're doing or that you're going to get me through this. Oh, yes, I know Samuel, the man of God, honored and anointed me. I know that you filled me with words of prophecy, just as Samuel said. But I don't believe I can do this. And I don't believe you're going to help me. How do I know this? When Saul faces a massive Philistine army, He discovers his own men trembling in fear. Instead of waiting for Samuel to arrive to offer prayers and sacrifices to the Lord for the battle ahead, Saul rashly offers the burnt offering himself. Samuel's clear instructions told him to wait seven days for him to come and that he would offer the sacrifices to the Lord. Further, he also provides specific instructions on how to proceed in the battle. But Saul's too impatient. He refuses to rely on God for his direction or wait for his messenger. Why? Because he believes that God has set him up for failure. When he sees his soldiers deserting him, he feels he must take matters into his own hands because surely God isn't going to be his helper or his deliverer. Saul believes he's on his own. This happens again when Saul faces the Amalekites. Before the battle, Samuel instructs Saul specifically on what God wants him to do. But once again, Saul does his own thing. He foolishly keeps the best of everything and spares the life of the wicked King Agag. He even goes so far as to build a monument to himself in celebration of his, of his victory. Further, he's so oblivious to what God wants that he blithely tells Samuel, I've carried out the Lord's command. And when Samuel rebukes him for it, he blames the greed of the soldiers for the lack of obedience. It's clear the blatant disregard and disrespect that Saul has for the Lord. It's as if he says, God won't help me, so I'm going to help myself. And when Samuel sternly rebukes him, Saul offers a half-hearted, Yes, I've sinned, but now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. He expects his trite words will cover over his disobedience. And when Samuel still refuses, Saul tears Samuel's priestly robes in an effort to hold him back. Even hearing that God has chosen another, Saul still begs Samuel to honor him in front of the people that he may show a semblance of worship to the Lord, your God. This appears to be the last time that Saul even pretends to worship the Lord, for by 1 Samuel 22, he actually orders the execution of priests who provide his rival David with food and the sword of Goliath. By this point, he has literally cut himself off from the Lord, hence when he faces another battle against the Philistines, and the Lord doesn't answer his frantic attempts at contact, he seeks instead the otherworldly counsel of a medium, hoping to gain the counsel of the deceased prophet Samuel. Although he may have banned mediums in a crisis, this was where he sought advice. And sadly, he's so far removed from God's presence that he doesn't realize that the messenger rising out of the earth is a demon and not Samuel. For the Bible consistently indicates that God's messengers come from him and his heavenly throne. But the spirits from the earth come from Satan. But of course, Saul believes that the message The demon delivers because it foretells that the entire army of Israel will be defeated and Saul and his sons will be killed in battle. Why would he believe this dire prediction? Because he's always believed that God has set him up for failure. That's why he's always had to do things his own way, for he had no trust in the Lord. He's never embraced the instruction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. For blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. How do you feel about God's plans for you? Do you believe he set you up for failure? Do you see past mistakes and disappointments as indication that God doesn't want you to succeed? This is entirely opposite to what God says about himself or his plans for us. For he promises that if we commit whatever we do to the Lord, that he will establish Our plans. He promises to be with us and strengthen us and hold us with his righteous right hand. Moreover, he pledges that if we walk in obedience to him, that we will prosper in all we do and wherever he goes. He reassures us that blessed is the person who delights in the Lord, for they will prosper in all they do. God's plans for us are for good and not disaster, and that our future may be filled with hope. It is these truths that we're to cling to, that he's always with us, providing us with strength, wisdom, and his goodness and unfailing love pursue us. What can be more beautiful than that? God bless you all. God bless you.